Morning Bay Presbyterian Church. Come on, come on. It's 11.30. We can do better than that. Good morning, Bay Presbyterian Church. Uh, one preacher I heard, he went to a church and he wanted to get the people to get excited. So this is what he said. He said, if you love the devil, be quiet. All right, good job, good job, good job. A few more weeks and we will be a black church, Amen. Okay, a few more months. It may take a little bit longer. Today, we're going to continue uh, our series, Encounter Culture. Uh, the past couple of weeks, Pastor Mark has led us in with this book of Daniel. And today, I'm going to talk about Daniel chapter 5. So if you've got a Bible, go to the book of Daniel chapter 5. And I've invited my best friend, Todd. We've been best friends since this morning. And he's going to, he's going to read our scripture for us. Um, and so you, you, you only have your Bible to use as a reference because they won't be on the screen. Um, so let's, let's begin with Daniel chapter 5. <clears throat> King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. One second, one second. Doesn't he sound like, you, you, anybody have the Bible app? <laughs> Good job, Todd. You've got a future, Todd. <laughs> James Earl Jones is my father, so. So let's. <laughs> We're never going to get invited yes, back. Yes, yes. <laughs> Daniel 5. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote, that the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. 
The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard that you have the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they cannot show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourselves and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was the, as the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have prayed the gods, praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose your hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him, that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, who comes to set us free. God, our prayer is that the word would come to set us free. I pray that you would call us from where we are to where you're calling us to be. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're looking here in this series of the writing on the wall, Daniel chapter 5. I said in the morning service that you don't invite a, you know, typically you don't invite a guest speaker to preach Daniel chapter 5. It's a heavy, heavy text. And um, I went and talked to Pastor Mark in between services. He's like, yeah, I thought about that, but hey, good job. All right, so <laughs> we're going to try our very best here. We're looking at the text and we're looking at this series, Counter Culture, which it brings us to a conclusion that there are two sides to this coin. There is God's way, and there is the culture's way, or the world's way. 
There is God's law and there is the world's law. I think as we look at this text, it's important to provide a little bit of background information. So what we have here is King Belshazzar is in his kingdom with his wives, his concubines, and his nobles. Two years before we get to Daniel chapter 5, we find out that the king of Persia, Cyrus, and King Belshazzar and their armies get into a battle. When they get into the battle, Belshazzar le loses the fight. And oftentimes when you talk about fight, somebody comes, you know, and they're like, there's no winner in a fight. You've never been in a fight because there's a winner and there's a loser. I've been both, and there's a difference. Um, what happens with Belshazzar and his army is they retreat into the city where they are safe. They're safe in the city because they can use the Euphrates River as their, their bulwark, their wall to keep, uh, keep harm and danger out. What ends up happening, though, is the Persian army surrounds the city. So the, 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 the Babylonians recognize that they have a couple of options. Well, number one, they cannot leave their city because if they do, they'll be captured and potentially killed. So they recognize that they've got to stay in their city. In the midst of all of this, this is war. Now, long before this, we know that the Babylonians are far predicted to lose. What ends up happening, though, is that Daniel comes into the city, and instead of preparing for war, he throws a party. He throws a party where they are drinking, they're doing all the things that they want to do. The reason this is problematic is because throughout Scripture, we see a theme of kings and nations getting into trouble and running to God. But instead, Belshazzar, in his arrogant boastfulness, he chooses to run to his fleshly desires. As we continue through the text, we learn that King Belshazzar drank wine in front of the thousand. You know, when somebody's telling you a story and they start off with, we were drinking, it normally means that the, that story is going to go downhill from there. <laughs> like, if you, you can imagine that, what happened to John? Well, we were drinking and that's just the end of that. It's all bad from there. He gets up, he drinks wine in front of the thousands. The reason why this is even significant is because kings did not do this. This was a show of looseness, a show of carelessness, and a show of arrogance to say, I'm the king, and I do whatever I please. Now, we, we look at this text, and we find out that he steals the stolen, he gets the stolen vessels that his forefather Nebuchadnezzar took. We know that Nebuchadnezzar got these vessels because in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, we find these words. Nebuchadnezzar also carried part of the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his palace in Babylon. The reason why this is important is because these vessels were used in worship to the one true and living God. Belshazzar, in his drunkenness, he goes and he commands that they be brought to him so that they can drink wine out of the vessels. Not only do they drink wine out of the vessels, but they use the vessels and offer up praise to false gods. Belshazzar does not care. Belshazzar thinks he is in charge. But we learn through the text that 
something happens with Belshazzar. Now, if we think about our culture today, one of the things that I believe that we can pull out is the truth that the culture will always lead us against God's will. The the culture will always put us in a position to defy God. What, What ends up happening is modern culture tells us that we can have our hands on the world and one hand on the world and one hand on Jesus. The the, the fallacy in that is that if either one of your hands are off of Jesus, you've got a problem. You cannot have the world and God. The Bible calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. So we acknowledge that Christ, Christianity, and our fellowship and our loyalty to God will sometimes put us in a position where we'll have to go against the culture. So now we recognize in the midst of uncertainty, Belshazzar is throwing a party and he's got all these people. So let's make sure we got all the facts together. They've been, they're in war, Belshazzar throws a party. He throws the party, he mocks God with the vessels. Then there's a writing on the wall. He gets afraid, no one can interpret it, he gets more afraid. Isn't it interesting how Daniel ran to the magicians, to the soothsayers, to the fortune tellers, It's interesting how the world always goes to fleshly and worldly desires in times of crisis. We run to our money. We run to our friends. We run to things that satisfies satisfies the flesh, and none of them can help us grow. So we got that. No one can interpret it. Then mom sends for Daniel. Why are moms always right? It just doesn't matter what it is. You ask your mom, they just know everything. It's like the Lord speaks to them. And so... Mom says, hey, chill out. Stop worrying. Go get Daniel. He goes to get Daniel. Daniel comes back. Daniel doesn't hold back. No punches. He's like, yeah, you're going to die. And after that, the king honors Daniel, and then the king dies. That's the progression. Are we right? We're reading the same story. From this text, I've drawn six things that it teaches us about the culture. Let's try the first one here together. First thing is that the culture is irreverent. The culture is irreverent toward God, care less about God, wishes to disrespect God, it's blasphemous. The culture doesn't care about what we believe about Scripture. It doesn't matter how much you explain it to them. The culture has already made up their mind that who we are is a problem. The culture is irreverent. The culture, I, I, I'm amazed at how many people are so, so boastfully disrespectful to God. The culture is irreverent. We see here in the text that Belshazzar in the, middle, in, the, in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of need, he doesn't even acknowledge God. Second thing we learn about the culture is that the culture is also intemperate. The culture is, does whatever it wants, does whatever it feels. It's based on emotions. It's based on what we're feeling at the moment. Belshazzar is drunk, and then he goes a step further, and he's, hey, go get the vessels. Let's, I started to title the message BYOB, but I didn't know how that was going to go over <laughs> here at Bay Presbyterian Church. But anyway, because it's like, this is why you need to bring your own drink to the party. You see, because they, they, they drink it out of it. Anyway, so the, the culture is irreverent. 
The culture is intemperate. It, it does whatever it wants to do. It, it has no bearings on consequences, does not care, does not care that there may be a price to pay in this world or the next. The culture is intemperate. The culture is irrelevant. The third thing I find in the text is that the culture is infectious. The Bible says that Belshazzar had his nobles, his wives, his concubines. Everybody is in this party. Knowing that the city is under siege of war, they're partying. Culture is infectious. If you can convince me in the middle of a war to leave cover and protection of my family to go and have a party with you, you've got to be pretty, pretty convincing. The culture can draw crowds. The culture can be popular. The culture, can, it, 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 it draws people to it. It's, it's infectious. The third thing, fourth thing we learn is that the culture is ignorant because in the midst of the crisis, the culture, the one who told us to do what we feel, the one who told us to not care about consequences, when things go wrong and we go back to the world, they have no answers. He ran to his fortune tellers, his soothsayers. He ran to his posse, and then I, uh-huh. We know we got you in this, but uh-huh. That's what the world does. The world puts us in a position where we conquer everything and we're like, awesome. And then when things go bad, when we're depressed, when we're hurt, when we're lonely, we go, world. And the world's like, yeah, tough. And uh, we learned that the, the culture is irreverent, is intemperate, is infectious, it's ignorant. Then we learn that the culture is fraudulent. I tried to keep the eye thing going. It just didn't work, okay? So just <laughs> focus. Because I know you were, I know where your mind went. It's like, he's so inconsistent. Okay. The culture is fraudulent. The culture has nothing to offer. It's false. And it won't last. People, want, people always ask me, Ab, why won't you get a part of this movement? I'm like, because it keeps moving. <laughs> One minute you're asking me to acknowledge that life is, it, 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 it matters. The next minute you're saying every life matters except for babies. I can't do that. The culture, I'm sorry, I may have gone too far there. Let me go back to the message. Number six, the culture is damned. Sorry, mom, cussing in church. The culture is judged with damnation. And that's the truth. Over and over again in society, we see that the culture only leads one place, and that's straight to hell. Doesn't always seem like it in the beginning because these are nice people, but the culture leads us in opposition to God's word. Here's what I can tell you, that in a time where the culture says one thing, I can guarantee you that when the culture and the world doesn't have the answers, I can guarantee you today that God has the answers. So let's address them together. First thing we want to know is in the time of the culture, times of crisis and the world doesn't wants you to follow your fleshly desires and do what you feel, do what feels good, what feels right to you. Here's what Jesus said. In John chapter 14, he makes this statement clear. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. The next thing, culture tells us, culture is like, you know, give in to your desires. Follow your heart. About 2008, 2009, a phrase, a popular phrase was coined. And this is the phrase. Do you boo-boo? Do you boo-boo? That phrase means... Follow your heart, do what you want, go in your own direction, 
Nobody should be able to tell you not to do what you want to do. This is a free world, free country. Do what you feel. Am I the only one who gets in trouble when I do what I feel? Every time. It doesn't, it, it just doesn't matter. It just, it's, when I do what I, you husbands, go home and do what you feel. Have fun with that. You'll be at the altar next week. I don't know what I do. The culture says, do what you feel. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, and I will ask the Father in heaven, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. 17 says, very plainly, even the spirit of truth from whom the world cannot receive, because the Father sees, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. You see, Jesus doesn't just say, follow me and obey my commands. He says, follow me, obey my commands, ask for what you need. I will ask the Father in heaven. But not only that, I'm going to give you a comforter, a helper to help you follow my commands. You see, as Christians, we got the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. The Bible says that he's written the law. He's written his law on our hearts. We know right from wrong, Christians and not Christians. When I was in youth ministry, kids used to say, Hey, hey, uh, Pastor Keon, question. Is so-and-so a sin? And I will go, because you're asking that question. That already means that the Lord is already working on something in you. And you already got a problem with it, but you want me to justify it. No, 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 no. Go ask Jesus. In the time where the world is telling us to follow our, 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 our desires, he says, I'm going to give you a spirit. This is what that spirit is supposed to do. This is what the evidence of that spirit. Galatians chapter 5, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. You see, if the spirit lives inside of you, then the evidence of that spirit should be being joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, good, faithful, gentle, and self-control. Which means that you can resist the culture. It's a matter of do you want to make the sacrifice? So, so the world tells us to do, says follow our commands. It says I'm going to give you somebody to help you work it out. I'm going to give you somebody to help make sure that you can follow my commands. The culture is infectious. But Jesus says something different. Jesus says, I know the culture can draw crowds. I know the culture is popular. But guess what? Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men and others so that, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, so yeah, the, the world, the culture, they're infectious. They're engaging. They draw you in. They pull you in. But Jesus says you can do the same. And greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You know, um, I, I like popcorn. Um, a lot. Um, are you one of those people who, when you make popcorn, you press the popcorn button, even though the instructions say do not press the popcorn button? Yeah, we don't read the instructions. We go, oh, there's a popcorn button. That's what it's for. No, it doesn't work. It'll burn your popcorn and make the whole house bad. I know. Here's what I know about popcorn. 
And I don't know um, if particularly people in Bay Village um, do this, um, if particularly white people do this. But anyway, I don't know. When my wife and I go to the movies, okay, because I have to spend a year's worth of paycheck in the movie theater on snacks, I tell my wife, get the big purse. Okay, all right, so white people do do this. Okay, so get the big purse. Go to the store and get what we need. Then we go to the movies. Now, I say in the car, we are not getting anything from the concession stand. But when you walk into the movie theater and you smell that popcorn, you start rethinking some things. Like, I can call them and reschedule that bill and... Because the aroma of the popcorn just draws you right in. Now, here's the truth of how popcorn works. Popcorn is a, is a, is a, it comes, starts off as a kernel, and that kernel has one microscopic drop of water inside of it. That microscopic drop of water is what makes popcorn so great. That microscopic drop of water, you put it in the microwave and you heat it up and it heats from the outside and that heat from the outside makes steam from that microscopic drop of water on the inside. That microscopic drop of water begins to press against the surface and once it presses up against the surface, it... All right, you're following me here. Now, it's not really what's on the outside that makes it pop. It's what's on the inside. You know, I think the world is like the heat on the outside. And the spirit of the living God lives inside of us like that microscopic drop of water. And as the culture continues to push and heat up and annoy and irritate the Holy Spirit, on the, your spirit ever been dancing somewhere? You, you're talking to somebody and you hear something and your spirit is inside of you like, ooh, I need to go talk to them. <laughs> and you say, not today, Jesus, not today, no. But the spirit is like, oh, no, they need to know today that Jesus. Well, the, the, the culture puts us under fire. And when the culture puts us under fire, the spirit on the inside of us allows us to live out. And it pops and just like the movie theater. There will be people in your life who don't want anything to do with God. But because of you and because of the radiance that comes from you, because of the aroma that comes from you, you put them in a position where they go, I know I said I ain't want no popcorn, but what's that you got? What is it that makes you respond the way you do? What is it that makes you kind the way you are? What is it that makes you forgiving? The, what is it that makes you faithful, good, gentle, peaceful, joyful? What is it? It's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit living on the inside of me. So in a world, so in a world where the culture is infectious and the culture is popular, Jesus says, you, you are the light of the world. The culture can't offer any answers or any solutions to the problems that the world has. The culture can't offer any clarity or any instructions 
But here's what God says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You see, the world can't offer understanding, but God can. The world can't offer solutions, but God can. Here's my last one. The culture says, live your life, have no regrets. The culture says, own your own destiny. You are the author of your destiny. Now, that's contrary to Scripture right there because he says he is the author and the finisher of our faith. But the world wants you to believe that you are. Here's what Jesus said in Mark. He says, for whoever would save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You see, the world would have you think that you are in charge. And that, my friends, is Belshazzar's problem. He thinks the buck stops with him. Last week, Pastor Mark let us understand that God holds those who are put in positions of leadership accountable. He will judge every single one of us, rather it's political, business, church, home. God will judge those of you who are put in authority because you have a responsibility to honor God with that authority. Belshazzar wanted to live into the culture. Daniel wanted him to live into the world. And so unfortunately, Daniel had to be the one to deliver the bad news. Here's what the Bible says about judging. And we recognize this is our, this is kind of the, the point that makes All of the difference is that we acknowledge today in John chapter 16, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. The helper helps us to live in his commands. It says, but if I go, I will send him to you. But here's what it says. It says, that spirit, that helper, will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. God will judge the world. I believe that as Christians we have a responsibility to respond to God. And we respond with honor of our God. And so I want to pause to ask this question. Where in your life are you still Lord? Because it's easy to point the finger at the politicians and tell them what they should say and what they shouldn't say. It's easy to tell the politicians the difference between a racist comment and a not so racist one. But my question for you, is where are you in modeling for them in authority 
Where are you living your life honoring God? Because you, just like those in leadership, will be judged. And the Bible is clear that if you want to save your own life, you're going to lose it. And here's what I want you to understand today. It's not your whole life. Because I know that those of us who are Christians, we come to church and we go, Jesus has most of it. There's a part that we're reserving. And we're wondering why there's no peace in our lives. We're wondering why we can't escape the sin in our lives. It's because you want Jesus to only fix one area of your life. You want him to fix your financial life. Or you want him to fix your health life. But you won't get your finance. God's like, I need all of it. I need all of you. Today, we're going to do something different. My prayer is that this won't be another sermon where you walk out and you go get your coffee and your tea and you talk about how great the message was. My prayer is that you would reflect on what God has to say to you and then live your life in response to that. My prayer is that you won't leave here the same way you came in. My prayer is that you will walk out of that door saying, God, I need to live honoring you this way or that way. So today, I'm going to invite you to get a little personal with the people you come to church with every week and some you just met. I want you to grab the hands of someone. You can stand, you can turn, but I want you to partner in prayer with someone today. Because as Presbyterians, we ought not just be hearers of the word, but we respond to the word in both in deed and with our lives. So before we dismiss today, I want you to gather in prayer with four or five people, three or four people around you, around your pew, around your seat. And we're going to pray, God, how do I need to respond to you differently? What do I need to surrender to you completely? How do I need to yield to every area of your leadership? You're going to be weighed in the balance. And, and, and the good news is you're going to be found wanting, but Jesus stands and he says, hey, look, I'll help tip the scale. And I think it's important for us to live in to what that means and respond to that by saying, God, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to surrender to you. So at this time, you're going to turn around, you're going to pray, you're going to stand, whatever it is you need to do. Jessica's going to play softly. You're going to pray, and I'm going to conclude us. I'm going to ask that our prayer team will come forward. If you want to come and get prayer from an elder or from a, a leader, then they're going to come forward at this time. But for the rest of us, we're going to pray corporately together before we go out into the world, before we go out into the culture. We're going to pray, how are we going to respond? this time you can take your prayer partners as we pray together.
me. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before. Let's pray together. God, indeed, on that day when our strength is failing, the end draws near and our time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending. God, our prayer is that you would give us the faith, the power to take a stand for who you've called us to be, for how you've called us to live. And God, our prayer is that you would give us the power to walk into the culture, into the world, living for you. Our prayer is that just like popcorn, we would be able to be a light to the world, that we would be able to, to help the world to see a new revelation of who you've called us to be. My prayer is that we will leave this place transformed, ready to walk on into life, to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. As we, as we close together, I want to invite you to give God the biggest praise you can give him like you know that God is faithful, like you know that God is holy, like you know that he's a wonderful, risen Savior. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, saints of God, today we are having a social for Sunday school in the courtyard. I know you've got reservations for breakfast and lunch and dates and coffee. But please, on your way to the parking lot. No, we're not. No? Oh, it was earlier. You missed it. Amen. And now... I beseech you therefore, my brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to go forth and present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to the patterns of this world, to the culture of this world, to the standard of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what God's will is, that which is good, pleasing, and perfect. God bless you. Go in peace, my brothers and sisters.